and welcome to another episode of Bear Books with me, April Berry. And me, Daisy Ray. This is our penultimate episode this season and it's a flash fiction, our final flash fiction. So how are you then, Daisy? How have you been doing? Can't complain, life's pretty cushy. What about you? Yeah, I went to uh, I went to see the tennis on Saturday and now I've got red burnt ears because I forgot to put suntan cream on them, but that's another story. <laughs> Trust you. I know, these headphones are hurting my ears. You need a little pointy hat to have your luminous ears sticking out (laughs) of the sides. Yeah. You look like a little elf. Thanks ever so much. Was the tennis good? It was exciting. The women's matches were more exciting than the men's, I think. Yeah. The men's were a bit fast-paced. The women's were were a little bit more technical. Okay. Well, before we get too far embroiled in another one of your digressions yeah okay like to say a massive thank you to all the people that have sent in flash fiction stories it was author's prompt so whatever inspires was what you all sent in for this prompt and we had a brilliant turnout so thank you to everybody we did so what daisy and i have done is out of the stories that were submitted we've picked one each And we're going to start off with Daisy's favourite, which is a story called Line Surfers and was written and submitted to the podcast by Bob Sharp. There is no afterlife. Fact. No heaven, no hell, no Valhalla, not even purgatory. There is only the line. Of course, it doesn't start as a line. It's more of a triangle or a pyramid even. From birth to death, the apex gets closer, then there is just a line or a point. It is at this point you have reached the summit, the triangle of life lays below you. It is here you will meet the line surfers. That's what I am, a line surfer. You will have your own name for me, a spirit, a lost soul, a ghost, a spectre, or a phantom, the list is endless. Every society, every tribe and every culture has a name for us. But we call ourselves the line surfers. A name that conjures pictures of handsome young people having fun in the prime of their lives. Fit and healthy people living close to the base of life's pyramid. Their future lies ahead of them. Their spirits filled with the boundless enthusiasm of life yet to live. And a body filled with the glowing health of youth. The truth could not be further from this. We are grey and feeble. We are the shadows of a life that was, a life that should have been and gone. We are that last pathetic ember buried somewhere in the ashes of a once roaring fire. I can hear your arguments. If there is no afterlife, then how are you still living? How can you still tell this tale? Well, let me clarify. I officially died 70 years ago. There was nothing special about my death. There was no drama. I died because my body failed. But it wasn't peaceful. I fought for every breath. I battled for every extra moment. And when the time came, it was only my body that died. Somehow, my soul clung desperately to the tip of life. My spirit grasped frantically onto the apex of that pyramid, a still glowing ember trapped in the ashes of a life extinguished. I don't know why it happened to me, no surfer does. The brief interactions I have had with others have told me that. 
We meet occasionally. I didn't know what they were at first, a vague greyness in the void we exist in. It was a long while before I came close enough to realise what I was seeing. That there were others came as a shock initially, but over time I came to realise that there were many. I have also seen them extinguished, finally and for good. Mostly it's the new ones, frightened and alone, the realisation of life having ended still fresh in their minds. I see them wobble and dim, fading like a star going behind a cloud. The balancing act required to maintain existence not yet honed. Often it is when they first see others that they fail to surf that they fall from that apex. Is it good or bad luck that helps me surf for so long? I don't know. I don't have the time to philosophise on such matters, for doing so would surely be the end of me. This reality requires one's attention and does not allow for such luxuries. But it is barely an existence, believe me when I tell you that there is a reason all ghosts look pained. It isn't something that they've carried over from their physical life, it's the pain of hanging on to this sliver of being. There is no respite, there is no moment to stop and get your bearings, for that moment would be your final moment. This is what we do, this is line surfing a continual balancing act on that final thread of life. I can hear more questions. Why hang on? If this struggle is so difficult, why continue? Why not just give up and fade from existence like the countless billions before you? Why not face up to the fact of the matter and simply accept your time's up? I ask myself these questions constantly. The truth is, I don't know. Somehow, at the moment of death, my soul reached out and grabbed the line. In the shock of those last moments of normal life, my soul somehow fought on. It forgot to die. It was instinct, or perhaps cowardice, or maybe just a fluke of nature. I don't know what, I have no answers. But I wish I'd let go then, because now I can't. I have prayed for the courage to stop, to just let go and accept the inevitable. Accept that I have died, but somehow a vestige of me lives on, flickering between life and death, a ghost in the machine. I suppose, deep down, it is the survival instinct, that same instinct, that caused me so much pain as I lay gasping for my dying breath, an unwillingness to face the ultimate void. But even as my memories of a life lived fade to nothingness, and the nothingness of the surfing becomes like all I've ever known, I still cling on. But why? There is nothing to exist for, except existence itself. It can only be for this. Everything that was mine to look at, or touch, or love has gone. I have passed it by. This is all there is for me now. Everything else lies below, untouchable, except for some fading memories. It is difficult to put into words what it's like here. Of course, it's not a line we surf, nor is it the tip of a pyramid that we balance upon. These are just metaphors. It could be described as walking a tightrope in the dark, always buffeted by an uncertain wind, or clinging desperately by the fingertips to a frozen handhold on a granite cliff face. But it's more than that. It's a desperate balancing act to preserve a memory of life. A taste of consciousness. And it's constant. 
one mistake, one slip of the mind, one wrong... That was very quirky. I like that. Yeah, it's very dark. Yeah, it was like his book, uh, Alfred Jones and Son, Brothers, Travelling Undertakers and Soul Traders, S-O-U-L. Yeah, I remember, I remember. You remember. Also dark, but lots of amusing things in there. Yes, yeah. As you were reading that, made me sort of think about what a lonely, horrible existence. Doesn't it make you think that if you get to the end and you've got a choice of hanging on or leaving, just leave? Just go, yeah. Yeah, your time is up. Yep. I can't imagine spending 70 years having to concentrate just to stay hanging on to nothing. Because that's all it is, it's nothing. Yeah. If you were up there clinging on to that, what would you be telling those people down there? Let go and be at peace. Yeah. But then again, you don't know, do you, when this character died? They don't know. They don't know what they're clinging on to or why they're clinging on to it. Or the fact that it's going to take every ounce of concentration just to cling on to nothing. I thought that his book was a little was was quite morbid, but but in a fascinating way, and so was that. <laughs> I guess I think Alfred Jones and Son, while it was extremely dark, was hilarious at the same time in places. I loved the characters, and this is something completely different again. I think because it's not really funny, is it? No, it's not. But it's it's got Bob imprinted all over it so he does have a bit of a style yeah he does he is a dark writer essentially yeah with humor but this this is quite dark i had to think as you were reading it out i had to to really concentrate on what was going on because there was such a lot in it and to say it's flash fiction and it's only a thousand words there was an awful lot of description in there clever storytelling and you know why because he followed the major principles of writing flash fiction and that was he didn't have lots of scenes he didn't have lots of characters he didn't make it complicated on himself he didn't skip time frames he kept it simple so he could explore the character and the character's emotions yeah. and what that character was going through and that's good flash fiction yeah and this is a prime example of what flash fiction should look like thank you well done bob for April's favourite, she's chosen a story written by Jane Love and it's called Next Door. Sometimes I think the police are trained to ask questions to trap you into being sarcastic from the off so they can, if needed, arrest you for obstructing an officer of the law. For example, I was once sat on a bench in a bus station and a policeman approached me and asked me what I was doing. Then got a little stroppy when I said, I'm waiting for a bus. OK, so it was 2.45am and the next bus to where I lived was at 6.18am. I'd missed the last bus home and as the bus station was lit up, I figured it was the safest place to stay. I had thought about walking the 18 miles home, but as it was the late 70s, New Yorkshire had a lunatic on the prowl. I thought it best to stay put. Then, some 35 years later, I am sat in the back of a panda car on my way to a police station not really sure why, but can only surmise it was because of a perfectly innocent answer I'd given to the officers when they asked that initial question. At the station, I was sat in a room, and the two officers walked in. 
One male who had insisted I come to the station in the first place, and the other a female. I remember thinking, she's nice, but I was savvy enough not to say anything. They turned on a tape machine and introduced themselves, and said it was a formal interview under caution. OK, let's go through your actions tonight from 6pm, PC3768 said. Well, I was at the works due till 10pm, and then a few of us went to the pub for a nightcap till about 1130 then waited for a taxi and I came home, I replied. What address do you think you live at? The officer asked. I looked at him and said curtly, I don't think I live at 77 Driffield Road. I know I live there, officer. What I don't know is what that couple were doing in my house or why they were in pyjamas in my house. How much did you drink tonight? Asked the female officer. To be honest, I wasn't counting. A few, enough to have left my car at work. I answered. And how long have you lived at the aforementioned address? She asked. Twelve weeks, I retorted. They looked at each other, stopped the tape, and then she left the room. Twenty or so minutes later, she returned. She asked as she sat down and the tape machine was turned back on. June, where did you live before you moved twelve weeks ago? 77 Driffield Lane. And yes, I know it sounds silly moving next door, but I'm all on my own and it's a smaller property. An end terrace, and the garden has a greenhouse. I know, unlike the area, seemed a good idea at the time. She looked at me and started to laugh. The tape was turned off and the two officers left the room. It felt like I'd been there hours when they finally came back into the room. I'd nodded off at one point, I think. June, she said, looking at me, smiling. You know the end terrace is number 79, right? Jane is such a natural storyteller and that's just showing off her funny bone. Yeah, I must admit, I do like Jane's humour. It's a little bit quirky and it's got a little bit of a sarky edge to it as well. <laughs> you know, you were the inspiration for that story, right? What, because I've just moved next door? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't think it's any coincidence that April, May and June are all months of the year and girls' names. That's weird. Yeah, I suppose that is a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. You definitely inspired that one. Yeah. Very good, though. Thank you very much to Jane for writing that one for us. Yeah, it was comical, that. I like Jane's writing because what comes across is the way she speaks as well. Yeah. So the way she speaks translates onto the written word on the page. Yes, it's not always an easy thing to do either. People no. tend to be a little bit more formal when they're writing. And Jane has a knack of, of writing like she talks. So, yeah, I get what you're saying there. But, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that from Jane. Thank you very much, Jane, for your contribution to this week's podcast. Two very good stories there then for our uh, flash fiction for this episode of the podcast. So what have we got coming up then for the next one, Daisy? The next episode, our final episode this season. So we have got the sequel to Carolyn Ward Daniels' book, Flint, that we reviewed in our first ever episode two years ago on the podcast. And next time we are reviewing the Flint Babies, the sequel to that book. So we've got Carolyn in for an interview. I know, because the very first one that we did she sent us a press release didn't she and she was a bit too shy to come on camera and have an interview we've worked on her though over this last couple of years and she's going to come in and talk about the book what inspired the book why she wanted to write a sequel 
and we're going to find out a little bit about Caroline Ward Daniels, the author, because I know that she's done some flash fictions for us um, over these episodes, but we've never really interrogated her, have we? (laughs) Maybe interrogated might be the wrong word. Interviewed, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry, interviewed. (laughs) Sorry, Caroline. (laughs) We're not going to sit in a chair and shine a light in her eyes. Who knows? Okay, so we might. (laughs) But it should be a really good one. Looking forward to that. Me too. So until next time, take care of yourselves and we'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. If you want to submit your story, you can email us at beerbookspod1 at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've listened to today, why not share us with your friends? Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.